What a great day to worship, right? So thankful um, for our praise team, thankful to see you in church today. Um, you were prayed for this morning. So not only early this morning did our staff team gather to pray over you today, but um, this worship service today was prayed over so that you would experience the Lord. It's why we gather together as a family of faith. Uh, next week will be our last part of the series, Family of Faith. And next week I'm going to talk about um, our vision statement, what it means to be a family of faith on mission with Jesus to change our world. And so let me encourage you, um, it's sort of a state of the church Sunday next week. So let me encourage you, make sure that um, you are in church. This whole series, we've talked about what makes us a family of faith. We've talked about great characters in the Old Testament who were the forerunners of our faith. They all point to Jesus, who is our Savior and our Lord. So um, this series has been a wonderful series to go through. We'll finish that next week by talking about our house, our home. So I look forward to seeing you in church next week. Make sure if you have some friends or those of you who are online and um, perhaps you haven't been in church in a while, I want you to be in church next Sunday. It's an important week um, for us as we look to the fall and as we look to all that God is doing. Um, going to get your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 32. Um, we're going to look at another story out of the life of Moses and the people of God um, from Exodus, what God had done for them in setting them free from bondage, from brokenness, um, and how they responded to that. So uh, really what we're learning out of Exodus is how not to respond when God blesses his family. <laughs> when God does something good for his children, we're kind of learning the opposite of what to do. But from those, we can learn today how we can trust the Lord in our world and how we can continue um, to honor him in our family, in our home. So Exodus chapter 32, uh, go on and turn there. We're going to read a chunk of scripture this morning because this is another one of those moments. If you've been in church any season of your life, you've probably heard about the golden calf. You've probably heard about that moment where um, Moses comes down off of the mountain and the people of God are, are worshiping an idol. There's something about idols um, idols back then, they were things that were actually worshipped. They were um, images, they were statues, um, they were usually something that was made into um, something that represented what people could relate to in that generation. That's what idols were. Um, so, for example, um, cattle was important. So that's why you'll read today, um, when we look at Scripture, why they made a golden calf. It wasn't just a random act. It's not like, hey, let's just worship a bull. Um, it was a part of the Egyptian culture where the people had come from. So you got to remember, when we look at Scripture today, the people of God came out of bondage. And in their bondage, they had learned to worship certain things to give them life. One of those we talked about about three weeks ago was the Egyptian god of the bulls, of the cows, of the cattle. And so what they're doing is they're reverting to worshiping something in their culture. Um, so that's where that comes from today when we begin to read that. It wasn't just random. As we think about that today, um, likewise, the idols in our lives, they're not random. They're a part of our culture. When you think about things that we would give our devotion, our attention, our best efforts, our best self, our best energy to, um, they're not disconnected from our world. And Satan has an interesting way of causing us to embrace things in this world and give them our best selves, our best effort, our best resource, and turn away from God. So when you look at this passage today, um, it's actually quite fascinating what they did after being set free. And before we give them really a bad rap and we put a lot of judgment on them, I think what's going to happen today for all of us is it's going to bring us forward to our generation and our culture and go, gosh, what do I give my best self to, my best effort, my best resources? What do I create and give God kind of a wink and a nod? But what do I create in my life that I focus on so much? And it's not that I'm forgetting God. I'm just placing more emphasis on this than I do on him. And when we look at that as believers today, as the church, as a family of faith who has been set free by the Lord, by Jesus, I hope that it will wake us up as we move forward into the fall as a church and say, gosh, I don't want anything to take the preeminent place 
of God in my life. I don't want anything to do that. And this passage is a wonderful passage to be able to see that and how actually to avoid that in our lives. So Exodus, I gave you a few minutes to turn there. I hope that you have your Bibles. If not, um, pull it up on your phone. Um, you can use you know, the Bible app. You can use BibleHub.com. You can use any number of things. But I, I encourage you throughout the remainder of this semester and fall as we've kind of kicked off a new year, bring your Bibles to church, right? Pull up your phone. Uh, make sure you're using it because I want you to see in Scripture how God can speak to you. And this is what Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1, says. You're going to love this story because there's actually some things that um, we do today. Um, that are very similar to how they would have done it then. Um, now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. So I'm going to pause right there and set up the context. Where is Moses? He's on Mount Sinai, on the mountain of God. He's delayed from coming down. How long has he been gone? 40 days. He's been up on the mountain with the Lord 40 days. Um, he told them he was going up there. The Lord had called him up there. What's he on the mountain doing? He's on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, the law, and he's going to bring those down to the people. So that's what's happening between Moses and God. That's what God is doing for his people. And he's only been gone 40 days. I mean, just a little over a month, right? So they've seen that he's delayed for 40 days from coming down from the mountain so what do they do? The people assembled about Aaron and they said to him, come and here's an idol, by the way. This is the definition of an idol every single time. Make us a God. You want to know how to describe an idol? Make us a God. So the people are saying, make us a God. And the difference between every idol and the Lord your God is he's not made. <laughs> he's not made by human hands. He is God. He is there. He always has been there. He is not something that we create in our image. He is the one who has created us in his image. And the people, what do they say? Well, make us a God. So in our lives, we can relate to that because anything that we make in our lives to be above the Lord our God is an idol. You can write that one down, right? That's what they say. Make us a God who will go before us. <laughs> now, again, the irony sets in because the Lord has led them out of Egypt. He's proven through his faithfulness, his salvation, his miracles. He's led them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He's protected them in front, in behind, on side. He's shown his presence, but after 40 days, they're like, well, let's make something that we can touch, that we can relate to, something that we see that's a part of our world and culture, something we can look at very practically. That's what they do. Make us a God who will go before us. And as for this Moses, <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden he's this Moses. Not the guy who's done so much good for them, been a vessel of the Lord, but now he's kind of like an afterthought. He's not the it of today. He's not the trendy topic of the day. <laughs> oh, we've forgotten about this. So this Moses, as for this guy, the man who did bring us up from Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Now that's a blatant lie. When you want to do something of your own agenda, what do you do? You try to cover it. Well, if you go back to Exodus chapter 19, you go back to, back to Exodus chapter 24, Moses is saying, hey, I'm going up. I'm visiting with the Lord. We're all going to see the glory of the Lord. And they know exactly where he is. But now in this moment when it wants to be, when they want to be convenient for what they want to worship and what they want to do and what they are being led to do because of what they know of their culture, where they've come from, where they've lived, the society that they've been a part of, they want to justify their actions. And so they're like, okay, this man, he's gone. This man who led us up, we don't know what happened to him. They know exactly where he is. So Aaron says to them, tear off the gold rings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and they brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool and he made it into a molten calf. And they said, 
This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So they've seen all these miracles. They've seen all this faithfulness. They've seen the wonderful attributes, the character, the awesomeness of God revealed to them. And now they want to see something else. And so he forms this golden calf out of their stuff. He forms this golden calf. He sits it before them and says, here's your God. Now, I and you perhaps go, gosh, after all that we've read, learned about God, his character, his revelation, the miracles and stuff, what a cheap substitute. But again, there's no greater definition for an idol in our lives than a cheap substitute for what God would give. A cheap substitute for who God is. A cheap substitute for what God will do for his people. But here they are, bowing down, giving their best stuff, their best effort, their worship to an idol. This is your God, he says, who brought you up from the land of Egypt, which obviously did not. So when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Now they're going a step further. Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a great feast to the Lord. But he's not talking about the Lord. He's talking about the calf. So the next day they rose early and they offered burnt offerings and they brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and they rose up to play. Now I pause right there because what you see the people doing is they're giving to the idol what they would not give to God. Now I want that to sink in for us today as people who live in a very affluent culture. Inflation, etc. You hear all about taxes, all the things that are happening in society. But in reality, if you live in a home in the United States of America, you are in the top 10% of the people in the world. All right, so we live in a demand now society as Americans, right? Um, and therefore, in our society, what do we do? Um, we give a lot of extra resource. We are the most overspent people on the planet when it comes to our budgets, right? That's the reality, which side note is why we try to help people with financial peace here to maintain and get out of debt and move forward in stewardship of what God has given to them. These people are giving to an idol what they would not give to God. So when I think about that principle, what am I giving my best self, my best effort, my best resources to in this world that I'm not willing to give to the Lord? That's exactly what's happening in this moment in their act of worship. And notice the words that are described for this from Scripture. It's in their eating. We love to eat. New Orleans, best food on the planet. All right, here we go. Not picking on you, but I'm saying this is reality because this is a part of this culture right here. Um, in their drinking, so they're spending a lot of their extra resource on what they eat, on what they drink, and in their playing. Now, the scripture, it's funny because it sums it all up. These are the characteristics of their worship of their idol. And, and by the way, the, the, the word playing right here in the Hebrew translation, um, if you have young ears, you might want to cover them at this moment. But it's basically describing sexual acts of what they deemed as appropriate things that they had learned in worship in Egypt that were normal for the culture there. So they're practicing this again in their eating, their drinking, and their playing. So again, when I begin to process... As a follower of Jesus, as someone redeemed and set free and saved by the Lord, what am I giving my best self, my best efforts, my best resources to in my eat, drink, and play that I would not be willing to give to God? Because they gave to an idol their gold and their possessions, but they did not give it to the Lord. Side note, back in context in the passage, when you read up to this passage, God was about to ask them to give of their gold and their resources to build a tabernacle. He was about to ask them to build a center of worship where they could go and meet in the presence of God and have everything that they would do as a part of worship and also as a part of mitigating life. It would occur at the seat of the tabernacle. So what did they do? Instead of giving to the tabernacle, they gave to create an idol. Isn't that fascinating? Now forward that today, again, what do we give our best selves to that we would not give to the Lord? That is a foundation of knowing 
if you have an idol in your life or not. Fascinating. Scriptural. Now we continue because what happens? The Lord speaks to Moses in verse 7. He says to Moses, go down at once for your people. Notice what he said. (laughs) The Lord's getting a little agitated at this because you know what they've been doing. We've been reading about this. All they're doing is complaining and whining after God set them free. So God says, go down to, who does he call them? Your people. He's angry. God is upset in this moment. I can't, because he knows what's happening. Go down to your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. Corrupted means that they have bent themselves. They've given in to the bent of themselves toward the things of the world. And they've forgotten about the Lord. They have quickly, quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. And they have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it, have sacrificed to it, and have said, This is your God, O Israel, whom you brought up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate bunch. (laughs) Now, would that describe you and I at times? Yeah, at times, aren't we obstinate about what we know to be true and the way of the Lord, and yet we are going to bend toward culture, toward desires? Um, perhaps, you know, it's been 40 days since you've been in church and experienced the Lord. And so in 40 days, well, I've forgotten about the Lord, and I've forgotten about my commitment to the family of faith, or I've forgotten about how to grow in my relationship with him and with others 40 days it happened in 40 days they're an obstinate bunch so again before we go beating up on them because it seems like such a ridiculous oxymoron of a moment in the life of the people of God maybe we need to look at ourselves right for just a moment because that happens doesn't it and God knows who we are and he knows how to point it out so he says they're an obstinate bunch Moses Now, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you, Moses, a great nation. Now, we understand that we are made in the image of God. You ever had emotions when things didn't go the way you wanted, didn't plan, didn't work out? Yeah, God in this moment, and we know scripturally in history there are these moments where God would wipe out people when they were rebellious against him. You think of Noah, for example. Yesterday I was riding with uh, my kids and my family and we see this rainbow after a rainstorm and, and my son Eli is like, oh look, um, there's, there's a rainbow. It reminds us that God would not flood the earth again. And then he and Emma, they get into this dialogue about, well, we still have floods. And then we start talking about, yeah, there's floods and there's events, but God didn't flood the whole earth, right? Like he's not destroying the whole earth by flood again. It's a great conversation for um, a dad to try to explain again to my youngest kids. Um, But the reality is there is this moment in scripture where that happened. There's this flood that wipes out everybody because they're rebellious against God. And God promises, I won't do it again by a flood. So he promised that. And that's why we see rainbows in the sky because it's a reminder of God's faithfulness, God's love, God's mercy, God's protection for those that trust him. But here we go again. These people being obstinate, being stubborn. He's like, "Uh, forget what I said about them. But God doesn't forget what he says about them because Moses has a wonderful interaction with God to remind God of who he is, his character. And by the way, This is the kind of people we need in our life. Because look at what Moses does. Moses entreated the Lord his God. And he said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you, your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember. 
Remember Abraham. We talked about Abraham in our Family of Faith series. Remember Isaac. We talked about Isaac in our Family of Faith series. And remember Israel. Jacob, by the way, the supplanter who became the name Israel. And therefore, we know today as a part of that family of faith, he's one of those legacy people in the family of faith. Remember them and all of your servants to whom you swore by yourself and you said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all of this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind. The Bible says he relented. In other words, he had a course of action that he was going to pursue and he relented. He chose another course of action. He changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now, now I'm going to pause here for just a minute because I know some of you as theologians, um, you know, you might have a problem with this, God changing his mind. It's not really God changing his mind. Relent is a very specific word. God has a course of action that he is going to pursue, but then because of being reminded of his character, of the faithfulness of someone who did trust him, and the all overall direction of redemption, he chooses a different course of action which is more beneficial for his people, even though they are an obstinate, rebellious, sinful lot of humanity. Now, before you get lost in relent, I want you to think about the alternative. Because what God does over and over again in Scripture is that instead of giving people what they deserve, He provides a redemptive alternative. Aren't you thankful for that today? Aren't you grateful? Because this in Scripture over and, over, and over again highlights the character of God. When people should be wiped out, destroyed, he always is looking for a redemptive pathway for his people. You'll see that happen in just a moment. But it echoes today in the heart of those of you who claim to the name of Christ as a Christian and a follower of Jesus. Instead of giving us what we deserve, he gave us Jesus. Instead of punishing us for our way, he provides a savior to bring forgiveness. It is the mercy and the character of God that Moses appeals to. And God says, you're right. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And when I think about who our God is and this story, this revelation of who he is and his character and his redemption. And the fact that someone could have such a relationship with him that they could ask him for something this redemptive and he say to a human being, you're right. What a beautiful picture for you and I today of our relationship with God through the Savior Jesus, the mediator Jesus, the one who opens up our relationship today, Jesus. What a great picture found all the way buried in this story in the Old Testament. And we continue as we see what God would do. Moses, he turns and he goes down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. So what was he up there to do? To bring down the commandments, the Ten Commandments, which teach us, by the way, how to relate to God and how to relate to one another. The first five are about our relationship with God and the next five are about our relationship with people. So God has given these to Moses. He's coming down with these tablets on which were written both si on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. Verse 16, the tablets were God's work and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua, who's with Moses, by the way, not participating in the sin, very important for the book of Joshua, by the way. When Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of the cry of trumpet, nor is the sound of the cry of defeat. But I hear the singing. But I hear the sound of singing, I hear. And it came about as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. That's why Baptists don't dance, by the way. Just kidding. 
He saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger burned and he threw the tablets from his hands and he shattered them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf which they had made and he burned it with fire. He ground it into a powder. He scattered it over the surface of the water and he made the sons of Israel drink it. <laughs> That's quite a response to this golden calf. I told you there's some things in this story. It's like, whoa, even he's taking this serious. I mean, for those of you um, who have kind of a military style training or you pass, I mean, how about this from your drill sergeant or from a leader when you do something wrong? Or how about it, parents, like if your kids, they do something wrong, you ground it up, you put it in their drink, you take this, right? Moses brings this against them, but notice God doesn't. Moses brings this form of awareness that, gosh, I cannot believe that you're doing this. But God, he holds back in this moment, right? So they drink it. Verse 21, Moses says to Aaron, what did this people do to you? Now, if you read back in Exodus, when Moses called, when I'm sorry, when you read back in Exodus and God called Moses to lead, what was Moses' early on response? No, not me. I can't do it. I can't lead. I can't lead this people. Um, no, I'll be with you. I can do it. No, God, I, I can't even talk. I, I'm not gifted that way. I'm not strong enough to serve you. No, no, no. You can do it. I want you to do it. And Moses offers all of these excuses. And then ultimately, what does Moses say? Hey, get Aaron, my brother, to do it. And God says, well, I'll let you and Aaron do it, but I want you to do it. Do you think God knew what he was talking about when he only wanted Moses to do it? Because God knew what would be in Aaron. And who did the people prey upon in this moment? It wasn't the leadership of Moses. It was the leadership of Aaron. So they prey upon Aaron's weakness. And Moses comes to Aaron. What has this people asked you to do? Because Aaron had been a part of the process of redemption. Aaron should have known better. And I look back in scripture and I go, that's why God called Moses and not Aaron. But when he compromised, Moses compromised what he had been asked to do. And he included someone else that didn't have the same capacity to lead, right? Well, now you see the fruit of that a great reminder of how idols work in our lives by calling out compromise. Moses, he calls him out. What did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? And Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people. You know that they are prone to evil, aren't we all? But Aaron's pointing the finger. He's pointing the finger at them. Which is interesting because anytime you point the finger, how many you got pointing back yourself, right? But that's what Aaron is doing. He's the one that was responsible. He could have pointed them in the right direction, but no, he gave in as well. But he goes on and he makes an excuse. They said to me, make a God for us who will go for us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So he's kind of telling the truth. Which, half-truth, right, is still a lie. Because verse 24, he says, I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Ta-da! And that's not how idolship works in our life, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not like all of a sudden you find yourself, ah, I'm worshiping an idol, right? No. He was actively involved in the process because if you back up in scripture, he made with a tool the actual idol. Yes, he had asked them for what he said, but then he formed it and he said to them, here's your God. Worship this. And it wasn't just one of those moments. Ah, up, pout, out pops an idol. No, it's not like that. And that's not how it works in our lives either. We build up to worshiping things, giving our best selves to things other than the Lord couple more verses. Now, when Moses saw that the people were out of control, an idol will always take you to a moment where you're out of control. Worshiping things other than the Lord, giving your best self, your best efforts, your best resources to anything other than the Lord, it's always going to take you further than you ever wanted to go. 
We know that as people. That is human existence 101. It happens. And you become to a point where you don't understand yourself. You don't know yourself. You're out of control. You're not in your best mind. You're not giving your best efforts. Out of control. You lose your focus. When Moses saw that Aaron had let them get out of control and to become a derision among their enemies. In other words, they were defaming the name of the Lord. They had become a laughing stock because of their actions. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and he said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered to him. Now I stop there because that's a very important picture for you and I today as we begin to break this passage down. God is redemptive and Moses comes down and he says... Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. Not everybody came to him. But a certain group of the children of God did, the sons of Levi. The sons of Levi were actually the priest to worship the Lord. So they came to Moses and in acknowledgement of their sin, they said, we're going to be for the Lord. The rest of the people, they have a problem. And we'll break that down today because idols create those kinds of of problems for people in our lives. And when I think about today, about following the Lord as a family of faith, that's what I've called today's message, following the Lord. I want to give you a few things to think about. We've kind of looked at the passage. Now, uh, let's take some principles that can apply to us today so that we in our lives learn to follow the Lord with our best selves, our best effort, our best resources, particularly as we move ahead in life from the things that have challenged us over the last couple of years. Here's what I want us to take away. Life lesson, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. To follow the Lord. It's very important. To follow the Lord. This is what it means. To follow the Lord is to know who he is. Do we know who he is as we've looked at the examples from Scripture? Yes. Did the people of God then know who he was? Yes. So to follow him is to know who he is, to know what he wants, and to cling to him alone in this fallen world. So let me say it again for your notes. If you're typing this in your apps on your phone. Or perhaps you're writing this down in your journal. Um, to follow the Lord. It is to know who he is. To know what he wants. And to cling to him alone in this fallen world. In this passage, what you see is a reminder of who he is, the character of God. In this passage, you see a picture of what he wants and what he doesn't want. And you see in this passage the reality that there are enough things in this world to gather and to take away the attention of the people of God. That the only way that we overcome those things is we cling to the Lord alone in a world that's going to pull us away from him. We cling to him in this fallen world. Let's talk about idols. First and foremost, idols. Idols will consume your best, return the least, and leave you empty and with regret. When I think about following the Lord and knowing who he is, what he wants, and clinging to him, I have to be able to identify what an idol is in my life. And I realize that today, as people, we're not building golden calves and bowing down and worshiping them, right? But put it back in context for them because what they did is they worshiped what they knew. What they did is they participated in what their culture had taught them of the day, even though the Lord was teaching them a better pathway, a newer pathway. They were just reverting to what the world around them accepted, and God was leading them out of that. He was delivering to them ten commandments, ten better ways to live, plus other principles. He was delivering that to them in the very moment that they're bowing down to their cultural norms and idols are really nothing more than cultural norms that we make in the image of God to give our best selves to our best efforts to our best resources to they're just made up things make for us a God so that we can say it let us out well, what do we make up in our lives things that consume our best return the least and leave you empty with regret. 
You see, an idol always costs something. The idol costs them something. What did the idol cost them, by the way? All right, before we think spiritual, let's think practical. They all had to give up gold rings, gold things, things of value even then, to form and to fashion the idol. So it cost them practically. It cost them financially. It cost them in their life. Now, instead of using that cost to build the tabernacle of God, of whom they worshipped, who had set them free, of whom had shown his character, instead of using their resource to do that, they used their resource for an idol. And if we're not careful today, when you think about how idols dominate our lives, remember, what were they doing in their celebration of the idol? And by the way, catch this, they're using the idol to worship God. So they have this half-hearted worship of God and this half-hearted worship of culture. They're trying to mix the two. It's called syncretism. For those of you who want the historical word, it's mixing of things to formulate a God in your own image. A God that's convenient for what you want to do. But that's not just something of ancient history. Isn't that true today? <laughs> Let's create a convenient God. A God in my image, not a God that I worship that is above me, but a God that, hey, he's, he's whatever I want him to be. That's what people want God to be today in our culture. But that's what was going on then, right? In their eating, their drinking, and their playing, they have given their best to create an idol. Practically speaking, what do we have as idols today? Um, as a parent, here's one of the things that I know. I, I know as a parent, one of the greatest challenges that many of you will face today is the extracurricular activities of your children. The extracurricular activities. Now, I am definitely not one of those anti-sport, anti-development, anti-STEM type of parents. Like, I realize that some of you, you were raised in a heritage and a tradition where Listen, your kids don't do this, and your kids don't do this, and your kids don't do this. And so you'll hearken back to a generation and go, gosh, it was better then. I, I can appreciate and understand that. Likewise, though, I also think there is the power of being a believer, like Jesus said, of heart, soul, mind, and strength, and developing a kid's heart, their soul relationship with Jesus, and their mind, and their strength. But you have to do that by giving the best to the Lord while also having the opportunity to allow your child to develop in other areas. If a kid gets smart in science, in math, in engineering type of thing, and they go, it's all designed by the world and by man, but they give no credit to the Lord, parents, you're going to lose the game. That idol is going to cost you your child. Okay, let's talk about athletics because I realize and I, I, I have a son that is highly athletic, right? And, and we went to see him this weekend and man, it's exciting to watch him play college sports. It's awesome. But here's the reality. Not every one of our children is going to be a professional athlete and, and get that claim to fame and be the next student or whatever. And we all believe that as parents, okay? It's not going to happen, right? There are some that it will. But here's the other thing. I noticed that most of them that achieve something great in athletics, right? Very few of them give God any credit. And so the sacrifices that we make as parents, if we're not careful, grandparents, it's the same for us. And I'm not saying keep them out of sports. And I'm not saying keep them out of science. And I'm not saying keep them out of drama and singing and all the other things that they do. But if that becomes an idol... And you give your best of your children to that and you do not point them toward the Lord, you will lose your child. And they will lose their faith and they will lose their future because idols always cost more than they give. You will invest money, you will invest time, you will invest all this resource. But if you're not pointing them to Jesus, now I'm not being a killjoy, I'm telling you how idols work. And what idols look like in our generation. And if we intentionally as believers are not battling to say to our child, be in church, come with me to church, grow in your relationship with the Lord, family devotions, prayer times. Recently, I had a visit with a wonderful friend and he talked about how baseball had consumed their family and their schedule. Now, I lived through that season of life, you know, as well. 
But I shared with him, look, we had a conviction as a family. Baseball was fun. We enjoyed it. We used it as a witnessing opportunity. And therefore, many of the people in the families that were on that baseball team, some of them go to church here today. Some of them came to know the Lord. But we said, look, if you're going to miss church, you're going to make sure that we do family worship. I'm sending you something to read. And if it doesn't conflict, you will be there early and then go to the game. Or you will go to church and you will show up late. It's important because the Lord has to be number one. If we're not careful, idols, they will consume our best. They will return the least. You've given everything you have and then you have nothing. And they always leave us empty with regret. Think about your spending. What do you spend on? So it costs them gold, right? So we will spend our best hard-earned dollars on something. We'll give and we'll give and we'll give to the things of this world. And perhaps it's something fun. What was going on with the idol worship? Eat, drink, and play. What did they hear when they came down off the mountain? The people were dancing around. So when you think about what you spend your money on, um, it's interesting. We'll drop a hundred bucks and... On a dinner, perhaps, and for some of you that may be extravagant, but when it comes to the church on Sunday, we'll give 10. And we'll think that the, ten, the church ought to just keep going on and the Lord ought to keep blessing, but I'm dropping 100 bucks and I'm going to get this bottle of wine, I'm going to get this steak, and, um, or some of you are going, I'm going to eat this Taco Bell, right? That's what I, what I can do, right? But you'll eat your Taco Bell, and then when it comes to church on Sunday, you'll be like, oh, I'm broke. You know, I eat Taco Bell for a living, right? And I get it, right? But that's what happens. I'm not saying don't eat, by the way, and I'm not saying eat yourself into destitution and be broke. Those of you who've been in this church long enough no yeah we believe in the tithe to the lord but i also want you to be healthy in your finances that's the total picture but listen it's like for me i, I love the saints we're starting oh and two in the preseason praise god right <laughs> great sign of things to come and i look i i have tickets right and and those of you who know i'm in i love our city i love our home team um go saints right it's awesome but here's the deal I will never pay for season tickets first and foremost if I can't give the tithe to the Lord. Ever. Because I can tell you this. Jameis Winston is never going to be there for me when I need him. He is not going to pay my credit card bill one time. I hope you're watching. Maybe you'll prove me wrong, right? Maybe you'll tithe and help pay off our renovation. Some of you in here, you might know him and say, Jameis, I got a challenge for you. man. Maybe you'll help this church in Jesus' name. Start coming to this church, right? But here's the deal, man. We live in a city. Man, we got the Pelicans. Zion who? Now, I'm not saying he doesn't go to church and he doesn't give to the community, right? But there's a difference between giving to the community and giving to the Lord. It's one thing to do things to boost your business and boost your reputation versus doing something that is a reflection of your relationship with God. And idols, they always cost us something. We will pay and we will give to something, food, fun, entertainment, drink, something that we believe in that's going to pay off down the road. But if it costs you and your relationship with Jesus... And it's costing you your best. And you're giving to the world first. And you're giving God the leftovers. You might have a golden calf in your life. And that golden calf, it will eat and consume everything you have. And one day you wake up and you go, why don't my children love Jesus? Why don't my grandchildren know about the Lord? Why does it seem there's never enough in my life? Why do I always feel broke as a joke with no direction and no purpose? Because an idol, that's what it does. It will cost you more and it will leave you with regret every single time. That's what happens to the people of God. And if it happened to them then after God had set them free, gosh, don't we need to pay attention to that in our lives today? So those are the types of things if we're not careful. By the way, in their worship of idols... I don't know, for some of you who know the Ten Commandments, you might have caught this immediately when I started reading. They broke commandment one and commandment number two. 
You shall have no other God before me. Commandment number one. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself a graven image. One and two, boom. They did that immediately. Idols will always take our focus off of the Lord. And they will always leave us wanting and lacking as we begin to break those very principles that keep our relationship healthy and strong with the God who set us free. Number two, because I have to move. God's word, God's will, and God's way, that's what will lead you to his promised land. God's word, God's will, and God's way. Write that down. I say that often in sermons, but I want you to grasp the power of that. There's God's word, there's God's will, and there's God's way. You want to know how to get to the promised land that God has for you in this world, following God's word, God's will, and God's way. And it's not a mystery. It's very clear. What's happening in this moment while they are being consumed with idols? What is God trying to deliver to them? His word. What's coming down off of the mountain the very moment that they're in the midst of worshiping a golden calf? What's about to be delivered? Ten commandments. What are those ten commandments? They are exhaustive pictures, really. I mean, we get so complicated with laws and policies and procedures today. God was actually like, here's ten. Here's five to help you know how to relate to me, the one true God. And here's five more to teach you how to treat people. Jesus summed it up. He said, you will love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. The Ten Commandments wrapped up. Jesus summarized it. And that's what God is delivering. His word. And what we have in scripture, by the way, is a record of God's redemptive way of helping people relate to him and relate to one another. That's why God's word. God's will. What was God's will? God's will was not for them to worship a golden calf. <laughs> what was God's way? God's way was one of redemption and salvation and freedom to lead them where? Where were they going? Where was the journey going? Out of bondage to the promised land. What was God doing? God was fulfilling his promise. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is what God will always do for those who follow him. His word, his will, his way. What was he doing? Leading them to a better place. Now, how many of us want to see God lead us to a better place, right? And here's the thing. Some of you have lived life long enough and you go, well, my, my better place is heaven. Well, look, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm going to see you there and I'm grateful for that. But I don't want just my better place to be heaven. Like in reality, I'm like, I want to see God's word. God's will and God's way today. And the one thing that gets in the way of all of us, of God's word, God's will, and God's way, guess what it is? Idols. Because an idol will always replace the preeminence of God's word, God's will, and God's way. And so when we begin to replace him with things like that, we lose sight of the promised land. Because that's where they were headed. Out of bondage in Egypt to the promised land that he had said, I will give this to you, a beautiful land, a land flowing of milk and honey, which was important for them. But likewise, today, the promised land in our lives, yes, it is heaven for those of you and myself who we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is the ultimate goal, but it's also heaven on earth. In the midst of hell, in the midst of a world that comes at us and challenges us, yes, it's God's redemption in the midst of a broken world where we experience his presence, his redemption, his goodness toward his children. When we're knocking those idols down, when we're paying attention to what they are, and when we're able to say, okay, God, I want to hear your word, I want to know your will, and I want to follow your way because that's what will lead to life. Here's the third and final thing when I think about principles to help me identify how to follow God. As a part of this family of faith, following God, recognizing, okay, idols, man, I don't want to give to an idol what I'm not willing to give to the Lord. I don't want to sacrifice for an idol and not give to God what 
is his, what belongs to him. I don't want to allow something to consume my best, give me the least, and leave me empty. No, I want to give God his best. And how do I do that? I pay attention to his word, his will, and his way, and I follow that because that's going to lead to life. That's going to lead to freedom. That's going to lead to his presence, his blessing. And then the final thing. Why is it important to be a part of church? Last week I talked about church, but I want you to see what happens here. Moses, in the very last part, he says, look, if you want to follow the Lord, come to me. If you don't, have at it. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what he's saying. If you don't think that God is the one that I'm leading you toward, then go for your golden calf. Go for your idols. And what happens? A section of the people, God's people, that would continue the revelation of his character, who he was. A section of the people, they say, I'm with you. I'm with him. I'm knocking out this idol business and I'm going to follow you. What is that a reflection of? It's a reflection of the early gathering of people who would worship the Lord. The called out ones. Ekklesia is the Greek word. And ekklesia means church. So number three, how do I help knock down those idols in my life? I gather together with those who love the Lord. Because when I gather together with those who love the Lord, that's where I learn to cling to him above all else. Why do you go to church weekly? Well, we talked about that last week. Why is it important to be connected in this family of faith? Well, we talked about that last week. And this morning is another great picture of it. The gathering together of the people who follow the Lord, they help me. They help you. They help us. It's why we do group link like you'll see in just a moment why we connect and we push Bible study and fellowship and opportunities to connect. Because when we focus together on the Lord, it helps us strengthen our fellowship of Him. Be aware of things that lead us away from Him. Experience His best and His blessing on His people together. And knock down those idols that come at us every single day, every single week. 365, 24-7, right? They come at us all the time. But when you gather together with those who love the Lord, and in this passage, the Levites, they gathered together with Moses. They said, we are for the Lord. Moses said to them, gave them the challenge, if you're for the Lord, come to me. And they said, here we come, right? And they came to the Lord. They gathered together with him. And this is a beautiful reminder in the letter that Simon Peter wrote to the Christians in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Maybe you know this one by heart. Perhaps you've heard it. But he says to them. You. You are a holy people. You are called out. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. You are called out because you are a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim that you have been called out of darkness into his wonderful, marvelous light. Called out of, ecclesia, church. You have been called out of bondage from the land of Egypt. So put it back in the context. You've been brought out of this by God so that you may be a people who proclaim the light the truth of God to the world then that was the message that God said you've become a derision because of this I don't want that you've been called out of that into something else and that fast forwards to you and I today as a part of the church the ecclesia this family of faith here at Calvary and as we continue to grow as followers of Jesus we have been called out of the idol world and it comes at us, it attacks us, it beats us down. They're out there, they are deceitful, they are tricky, they cost a lot, and they leave us empty and regretting. But when we put those down, when we grind them to dust, don't drink them in your drink, by the way, right? But when we get rid of those things, pulverize them out of our lives, and we focus on the Lord, we're like the Levites, we're like the people who, by the way, the Levites were the people of the priest. The Levites were the people who would lead out in worship of the Lord from this point forward. They were the ones 
designated to become the priest of the people before the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? So he uses them as a picture of redemption to help God's people worship him. The Levites come to Moses and say, we're for the Lord. We will follow him. And that's why when you look at this, we learn that important principle of gathering together as Levites, as people who are called a holy nation, a royal priesthood, as people who have been identified by God to walk out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you have the first picture of that right here in Exodus chapter 32. Now I'm Sorry if for some of you it's like, gosh, man, you just gave me this whole scholarly theological picture of the golden calf, right? Um, but I think now you can grasp today the reality of that moment that Moses was dealing with, that the Lord was re revealing to him and to his people. And you can grasp the power today of how idols are still there. They're still present. They still come at us. Aren't you thankful for the character of God who provides a way of redemption even out of idol worship to get you back on point and back on path with him to worship him alone? Isn't that a beautiful picture of what we face today but how we overcome it? We do overcome it by identifying those things that consume our best, return the least, leave us empty. We focus on God's word, his will, and his way because we want a better promised land. We want a better life. We want a better future. And we do that by making sure that we gather together with those who love the Lord. And we learn to cling to him in community, in our groups, in our lives as believers. Clinging to him above all else. What a wonderful passage today to teach us how to follow the Lord. And a good setup for next week as we talk about where we are as a church, where we're heading. But this morning, as we begin to pray and as you begin to process this, I, I think it's appropriate for all of us to be able to say, okay, Lord, if there's an idol, it's time for it to be torn down because I want to worship you alone. Let's bow our heads and our hearts together. And as we pray together today, um, this story resonates just as true in our generation right now perhaps there's something in life and and you look and you go gosh um, I'm working to achieve these things and God is blessed um, I enjoy the things of this world because God has blessed I enjoy these extra entertainment things because God is blessed but maybe you look right now and you realize gosh you are consuming all the blessings of God, but you're not honoring him at all with what he's really given. Maybe it's time to begin to tear down some idols, some things that have consumed the best, but will leave the least. They cost the most. They cost of everything that you work for, but they're not as fulfilling as a close walk with God. Right now, I, I'm asking that God would identify those in all of our lives. Because the truth is, we give our gold to the things of the world, but if we're not giving it to the Lord, we're not honoring Him with the treasures that He's blessed upon us, then we're going to be left empty. God, I pray right now that um, for all of us, Lord, if there are things that we are worshiping above you that are clouding our world and our judgment, things that we make up that consume everything that we are and our hearts are not in tune with you. God, I pray you'll identify those. You'll give us the courage to pulverize those in our lives to dust and to walk towards you, to follow you like Moses gave the challenge. Father, I, I thank you that today you're speaking by your Holy Spirit. Not, not in a way of condemnation, but of conviction. You've said, God, to us that your Holy Spirit is not a spirit of condemnation. It is a spirit that convicts of truth, of righteousness, right living. 
and of judgment, Lord, your judgment on how to navigate with wisdom the life we live today. May your Holy Spirit right now be speaking to all of us. God, I I pray that today um, for any man, woman, student, both in this room or perhaps online and our family online, that if there's never been that moment to realize that you are a redemptive God who provides a sacrifice for us, In place of what we deserve, you're a God who provides a better way. And you did that through Jesus. Today we understand the full picture of your redemptive pathway. It was always through your son. One who would not give us what we deserve. But who would give us your love and grace. Your son Jesus. If there's anyone today who who needs that gift of your salvation, that new relationship with you and your Holy Spirit is pointing to their heart, speaking to them deeply today, and they realize, I need that redemption. I need that Savior. I need that relationship, not like this world gives, but a new way, a new life. Then if that's somebody today and God is speaking to you, the answer is Christ. He is the sacrifice for our freedom, and you can follow him today if in your heart you know he it's time to say yes to Jesus and God I pray for those people today I pray for my friends as they know that today is the day where they have to say yes to Jesus if that's you today then I'm going to ask you right where you are both online and in this room today if you know salvation through Christ is your step of faith today then I want you right now right where you are to say God, thank you for loving me and for giving a better way, for pointing to Jesus, my Savior. Today, I want to follow him and remove any idols in my life, and I want to make him the Lord of my life, so I choose today to follow Jesus. That's the prayer of your heart today. You're in the family of faith, the family of God, because you've chosen Christ above all. Father, I I know that this world, it pulls at us. I know that it's fallen. But to follow you, who you are, to know what you desire, and to cling to you, that is the path of life. And I pray that today for each and every one of us in this room and online, we have all taken one step closer to committing our lives to choosing you. And I thank you for this wonderful picture in Scripture that means so much for your church today. You've called us from darkness to your light. And it's in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Aren't you grateful for this walk through Scripture today? Aren't you grateful for the word of the Lord? The word of the Lord reveals the will of the Lord. And the will of the Lord shows us in this world how to continue to overcome. I'm so grateful not only for your listening today. We went a little bit into overtime. But I'm grateful for how you today, even recognizing as the church, both in this room and online. Hey, look, I'm going to be real clear with you. If you're dropping whatever cost on your life, your extra, your food, your drink, and your fun, you're not tithing to the Lord. I'm going to challenge you right now. Give your tithe to the Lord. And watch what he'll do. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But watch what he'll do. That's why we have multiple ways of giving, by the way. Because when you give to the house of the Lord, the work of the Lord, the Lord is in process of doing something to lead you to the next step of life. It's how he works. It's his economy, not the world's economy. Give your best to the saints, right? We're going to lose the Super Bowl. May not even make it, right? (laughs) Make sure you're giving to the Lord. Give your best to baseball, swimming, gymnastics, art. And look, I hope they become Picasso. I really do. But I can tell you what, it's better to have a Picasso who praises the Lord, a professional athlete who praises the Lord, right, than one who doesn't. It's better to have a child who knows the Lord and makes a difference in the Lord with their gifts than one who doesn't. Make sure that in your life that you're not giving your best self to everything else and you're not forgetting God because that's what idols do. So in your giving... That's part of why we are faithful 
with our tithes and our offerings, with everything he's given, including the details of our lives, with our food, our drink, our fun, right? Giving to the Lord. And then I mentioned it. I want you to see this because I want you to know how important it is. Life was not meant to be done alone. There was a called out group in the scripture that we just read, the Levites. That is a reflection of you, the church, today. And it's why we, here at Calvary, we emphasize. Not just because, oh, it's something to do. We emphasize groups. We emphasize growing together in community, doing life together. We emphasize these things because that's where faith grows to be able to battle a fallen world. That's where life begins to happen because it helps us with one another, strengthen our bond of faith. And so as you watch this video, you'll see the explanation. You'll hear from Pastor Bo in just a second why groups are important here and why we want everybody to do it because it helps us when we're battling those idols that the world brings against us. Thank you for your attention this morning. Now, watch this video as we talk about the importance of gathering together in groups and in community. 